The Oz Media Report is back for a second season. On this week's episode, I talk with journalist and media scholar Margaret Simons about the influence or lack thereof of Sky News Australia. Stay tuned. Thanks for inviting me back into your podcast feeds. My name is Dan Barrett, and this is the Oz Media Report. Sky News Australia, it occupies a really interesting space in Australian culture. It's got this growing reputation of having aspirations to be an Australian Fox News, as though that's the worst thing in the world. And yet one could rightly argue that the Murdoch-owned newspapers in this country have much greater political sway. But that never really quite seems to raise the same level of concern. Now look, I'll admit, Sky News, it's not to my taste at all. Politically, I'm not orientated that way. And culturally, well, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. At the same time, I also champion that there should be voices that are different to my own, different political views, different attitudes, different cultural beliefs. Despite our many differences, I feel that we do share certain values and an innate goodness. Where I'm concerned is where some of the media are pushing ideology, conspiracies, and straight out false information that have the ability to harm us all. Think of issues like the climate emergency and COVID-19 denialism. Last week, Sky News Australia was temporarily suspended by YouTube for pushing misinformation about COVID-19. This Friday, the broadcast will face the Australian Senate in a hearing over what it broadcast and why ACMA hasn't had a heavier hand in dealing with Sky News and its attacks on the health of Australians. Journalist Margaret Simons filed an article for Inside Story that examined the political influence that Sky News Australia wields in this country. Its broadcast viewership may be low, but there are concerns that their online reach is tremendous. Simons, in her piece, argues that's actually not correct and that Sky News doesn't pose a huge concern. Are snowflake elite liberals like myself getting wound up over nothing? I had to find out, so I gave Margaret a call. You set yourself a project, which was to watch Sky News for two weeks straight. I was wondering what actually prompted that? Why now? Well, partly because Sky News is being talked about a lot, uh, particularly in the context of uh, COVID misinformation. And of course, that culminated in YouTube um, suspending them for a week. And since then, a heap more of their videos have been taken down. But I've also been watching over the last I suppose about six months, there's an idea that has taken hold, I think largely because of an article that was published on Business Insider late last year, that Sky News is sort of taking the country by storm in terms of audience figures, Uh, not so much through television, but through its YouTube videos. And I remember reading that Business Insider article at the time and thinking, that doesn't sound right to me because, you know, other research suggests, and I detail this in the article, that the ABC is actually one of the most powerful brands on social media and on YouTube. News brands, I mean, I'm not talking about entertainment media here. Mm. Um, And so I I thought it was strange. And then I... um, thought it was worth, given that Sky News is being talked about such a lot, I actually wanted to look at what they were actually putting to air, not the stuff that makes controversy, but the sort of day-to-day, ordinary, if you like, stuff, you know, what's the what's the general media diet? So it was a combination of all those things. Yeah, look, I'll admit I bought entirely into that narrative about the idea that Sky News viewership may be small on broadcast, 
but has a much larger reach in terms of its online sort of pool. Because I do appreciate that YouTube's an area where I probably don't pay as much attention to it as I probably should. And then they're sharing a Facebook video. So I just sort of took it for gospel that that's right. Yeah. So reading your article really was a bit of an eye opener. Well, you know, I, I do think it's true that they're getting a larger audience on YouTube, but the, you know, the indications are that a lot of that audience is actually not in Australia. So therefore the impact on Australian politics would be fairly limited. And, you know, in terms of the Australian audience, it's hard to know for sure. But, you know, all the indications are that is that it's not huge by any means. I mean, lots of people use YouTube, of course, but actually not many use it for news. Oh, look, absolutely. Now, look, I'm going to assume that you're probably not a regular Sky News viewer. You don't really strike me as the type. Did your perception of watching Sky News over that two-week period you were watching it change at all? Was there anything you were impressed by? Was there anything that you thought was maybe even worse than you'd really expected? Um, look, it's a, it's a mixed bag. I mean, as I said in the article, my main impression was that it was really quite tedious television for the most part. Mm. You know, I went to it thinking that I was going to be shocked and outraged and, you know, there are some shocking and outrageous things there. But generally speaking, it's really boring. It's very same-ish, both segment to segment and day to day. Very predictable. Um, the commentators tend to agree with each other a lot. They have their uh, favourite kicking poli you know, politicians to be kicked. It used to mm. be Dan Andrews. Now Gladys Berejiklian has joined him as... Uh, least favourite premier. Um, you know, it's predictable, it's dull, it's repeti it's repetitious, and every now and again you get something which, you know, is of concern, such as COVID misinformation or just out-and-out -out false information. Um, but, yes, it's very hard to imagine large numbers of Australians or even small numbers of Australians sort of sitting glued to the set. There were some interesting things. Um, Peter Credlin, who I think is a very smart woman, um, she is obviously completely fascinated by the entrails of conservative politics and mm. some of her commentary was interesting to a political nerd. She had also done a documentary um, on Victoria's second wave, which drew heavily on material before the Cope Judicial Inquiry into the second wave. Not much that was new there, but I thought it was quite well done, raised some fair enough questions. Um, but, you know, the, the bits and pieces that are worth doing are sort of, in my mind, un um, undermined by the fact that uh, so much more is claimed for them. You know, there's this constant refrain of no other media are covering this and you'll only hear it here. And for the most part, that's not true. I mean, if no other media are covering it, for the most part, it's because it's not worth covering or it's not true. Um, and certainly the Credlin documentary, well, I thought it was quite well put together on obviously a limited budget. You know, it didn't have anything that was new to me um, <laughs> in it. <laughs> yeah, so thinking about the content that's performing really well online, as you mentioned in your article, and this kind of jives with what I would have expected prior to reading that Business Insider article from a few months back, mm -hmm. these sorts of stories that are performing well for Sky News seem to be stories with some international imports. So things like US politics, things like the UK royals, they largely get sort of big viewership behind it, but local content doesn't really seem to get much traction, at least online through YouTube. When you're watching it, it's... Only, only modest figures, yeah, modest figures yeah, for local, modest figures. local stories. Yeah, I mean, a couple of thousand people. I'd certainly love that for the listenership of this podcast, but in terms of a big brain like Sky News that has some money behind it, you'd expect maybe a little bit better. So in thinking about the sort of stories that are performing well online... 
Is that sort of really being reflected by the amount of content that you're seeing on the broadcast that's related to these subject matters? Like, are they talking about US politics much? Are they really that focused on royals? Yeah, look, if you look at the YouTube channel, and it's quite easy there, you know, you go to the YouTube channel, click on videos, and then sort by most popular, mm. you can see that, you know, page after page of the most popular ones are about Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Um, and also about China and Wuhan and the origins of the coronavirus. And the, I mean, it's not possible to tell where the audience is coming from, but those videos have, you know, viewership in the millions. Uh, the comments certainly suggest that most of it's in the USA or international. And then if you look at, you know, most recently uploaded videos, you'll see a mix of international, mainly American content and Australian, but you know, the diversity in the figures is really marked. The local content is getting perhaps tens of thousands of viewers, which is quite modest. Um, I know that that might be viewership and um, listenership that you dream of. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and but you know, interestingly, I think that Sky News is almost serving as a bit of a production house for YouTube content for the American market. There are some videos in there which don't look as though they've ever been screened on Australian television. They've got mm. the Sky News Australia brand on them. But, you know, they're, they're clearly all about America. And others are, you know, Chris Kenny and Alan Jones and others opining about Joe Biden. So I, I suspect that there is definitely a bit of a message going through at Sky News to make sure you've got some something about Joe Biden or Donald Trump on a regular basis. <laughs> Now, that kind of taps into one of the things I've been sort of interested in, and I can't remember if the Business Insider article really talked about this at all, or if this maybe I picked up sort of elsewhere, but it's just the idea that Sky News is maybe raising some of these uh, COVID denialism stories or conversations about the Bidens with the idea that by slapping a international news brand over the top of it, it gives it more legitimacy overseas. Mm. So do you yeah, think that that's really that's the, right. do you think that's maybe the primary purpose of a lot of the online content coming out of Sky News? In the way that you said that, you think that maybe some of these segments hadn't even maybe originally aired on Sky News itself, but may have just been produced expressly for this purpose. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that um, increasingly, you know, that they, they are making a play on YouTube, and I don't mean to suggest that's not significant, mm. um, but um, obviously it's about making money. All This all has advertising associated with it. Um but yes, it's about clicks, it's about being able to claim audience, it's about influencing political debate. But I don't know that the main pitch is in Australia. I suspect that when the rest of the mainstream media talks about Sky News, it probably gets it more attention than it otherwise would. Now, you know, I'm a little bit tentative in that. Of course, uh, Sky News is available free to air in regional Australia. Um, the ratings figures in regional Australia, which I quoted in the article, are still quite modest. But, you know, there is obviously a concern there that regional Australians have access to a very different media diet and alternative set of facts, if you like, to those that would be accessible to urban Australians. We already have a, an urban-rural divide in this country. There is the potential for it to be made worse. But I don't think it's happening yet. So I'm not saying that it's of no concern. But given the strength of the ABC, which is also available free in the regions and is very important in the regions, mm. you know, I don't think it's time to panic yet. I think um, Sky News would like us to believe that it's all powerful. I think that increases its political influence and we should be careful not to take it at its own estimation. Yeah, I think I saw the media pack saying that like a 9 million unique viewer reach across Australia, which seems yeah, well, a little high. Very bodgy figures, really. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, you know, hoop. Uh, so just to contextualize that, um, Sky News commissioned a research company, Hoop Research, to do some research on its audience. And, you know, from an academic point of view, I'm not saying they made it up or anything. I'm sure they did their best, but obviously mm. they're going to make it look as good they can. It's a combination of taking audience numbers, for example, just looking at the number of followers they have on Twitter, and an online survey. Now, we all know online surveys have mm. their problems, right? <laughs> they are what they are. Um, and they mesh, they mesh those figures together. So where they've got a figure, like number of followers on Twitter, they use that. And when they don't have a figure, they've extrapolated the information from the survey now you know that's hardly scientific and it certainly looks as though they have counted you know even the most fleeting contact mm. um, you know does somebody well you know followers on twitter just because you follow somebody on twitter doesn't mean you're reading all their content um and the survey you know it's, it's just pretty opaque really the largest um number of viewers they claim which is over four million i think um, was news um, news corporation websites generally. Now, you know, I read news corporation websites all the time. The number of times on which I click through to Sky News content would be tiny, and I suspect that's true for a large part of the audience. So it's really opaque. But, yes, they use all those figures and claim that um, Sky News is reaching a third of Australians every month. You know, most people in the industry who hear that claim, you know, their eyebrows go up and they smile. Yep. I'm not sure my <laughs> eyebrows go further over my head at this point. So <laughs> something I've been thinking about a lot lately is the launch of GB News. So this is a new opinion TV channel in the UK. It's run by the former head of Australia's Sky News. And when that launched about a month or two ago, my real concern with it was that while the, and this is largely coming from that Business Insider article, uh, my concern was that while the viewership of the channel seems to be low, it would ape Sky News Australia with that online reach. Now, from what mm. you found about in terms of that actual online reach, it probably looks like GB News needs to look somewhere else for a model to copy. And I was thinking about, like, how do you feel about the idea of Sky News as being sort of a blueprint, I guess, for these international services to really model off? Like, it doesn't seem like that's a successful way to go, or am I maybe missing something? Well, it depends whether you're after money or influence or both. And mm. I think, you know, with the Murdoch organisation, it's after both. Um, also, of course, this content is not expensive to produce. You're basically sitting a presenter in front of a robot camera for half an hour. You know, they interview each other. They interview the same stable of commentators who suit their point of view. You know, it's cheap as chips to produce. So it's not like they're spending squillions. I think they're um, spending even less on GB News. If you ever look at it, they don't even seem to have lighting in the UK, which yeah. is quite a unique yeah. sort of thing. But in thinking about the money that's being sort of generated by this, Running Sky News is a fairly low-cost channel to run. Like, sure, Alan Jones doesn't come cheap, but outside of talent, like, that's kind of where the real expense is while running that service. It's not really driving huge profits either, either. at least not in the same way that, say, Fox News in the US is. And yeah. you mentioned, like, the quality of the advertising. You said that the advertising wasn't particularly prestigious. And so this got me thinking about two things. One, who was it that's actually advertising on Sky News? And the second thought is that if they're not large advertisers. I'm sure Harvey Norman's probably in there and a few of the ones you'd expect. But if it's not really driving a lot of profit, what's the value of running Sky News? If it's is it just about political like reach or is there actually a financial value to it as well? Oh look, you know, I'm sure they're more than covering their costs. I mean for many years they didn't. And as a matter of historical record, for many years um Foxtel and Sky News were running at a loss. And Foxtel has never really got the grip in Australia that pay television has in the states and now it's losing audience to netflix and stan and so on 
um, you know, that's around its entertainment content, which is, of course, the reason most people sign up to Foxtel. But having a 24-hour news channel, there's only two in Australia, uh, two 24-hour news channels. There's the ABC one, ABC News 24, and there's um, Sky News. And so if you want to watch Parliament or you want to watch the daily round of coronavirus press conferences and so on, or if you go into a Qantas lounge, into many, you know, venues, you'll find Sky News is on, not, you know, often muted, but, you know, <laughs> is there in the background. And that has a presence and a prestige to it. And it's changed journalism, the fact that people can watch media conferences live and be commenting on them themselves on social media rather than having to rely on an edited version on the evening news. You know, this changes journalism. Um, so it's important and influential, but it's, you know, a very low budget um, outlet, Sky News. It doesn't cost much at all. I know students that I've taught in journalism often get their first job there as producers. Um, you know, it's low production value, cameras driven by robots and controlled by the feet of the presenters. You know, Peter Credlin is pushing a pedal down there underneath the desk and that sort of yeah. thing. Um, and I'm sure, you know, these days it probably makes enough money to cover its costs, but it's not hugely successful commercially. In terms of the advertising, who knows what deals they're on? It may be a package deal across news corporation brands. Maybe they get ads in the Daily Telly as well as, a, you know, a, a video clip on um, Sky News. Who knows? Those deals are usually commercial incompetence. But, yeah, you're not seeing your, your huge, big spending advertising campaigns. And a lot of the ads are house ads for other news corporation content. Yeah. Uh, so Sky News was hit with a temporary suspension by YouTube last week for content related to COVID-19 denialism. What was your general mm. sense while watching the channel? Did you find that there was a lot of denial about the disease itself or the value of vaccination? What was the general tone and tenor of the broadcasts? Uh, I mean, there's some differences between the presenters on this, but I think it's fair to say all of them are hugely sceptical of the public health effort. Mm. Some of them are anti the whole thing, anti masks, anti vaccines, anti everything. Some of them are just against lockdowns and are actually pro vaccination. Uh, while I was watching, Alan Jones said that he had been vaccinated and he wasn't anti vaccination, but if you look back on some of the historical content, you know, certainly looks like he was. Um, they tend to interview um, scientists from the edges and Alan Jones will, you know, introduce someone with a great flourish and say this person has published so many peer-reviewed articles and they've been cited so many times, the sorts of things that you can easily find out by looking at Google Scholar. Um, he doesn't mention that they're often speaking outside their field or that the great scientific consensus is against them. And they will then say things like, oh, there is evidence that hydroxychloroquine is effective and it's being overlooked. Well, I have actually looked into that for other purposes. And the, um, you know, the controlled trials are conclusive. You know, there's no evidence that hydroxychloroquine is any use, sadly, which it was. Um, so there might have been a reason to hope for that a year ago. But it's quite clear now the evidence is in. And yet they continue to not only push these as effective treatments, but suggest that there is some sort of conspiracy between the media and the medical establishment to conceal the fact that these are effective treatments. It's really very pernicious. So Senator Sarah Hansen-Young was quoted recently saying that if information is too dangerous for the internet, surely it's too dangerous to be on our TV screens. And mm. while one could argue that YouTube is a private company, whereas TV is governed by government licensing, she does raise a pretty interesting point. 
And I was wondering why you think it is that maybe ACMA haven't taken action. Is it that the communications authority isn't really empowered to act strongly enough? Yeah, ACMA is not the strongest regulator. Um, it acts under, so it has a system of co-regulation. Mm. And, you know, there is a good reason for that. Obviously, it's offensive to freedom of speech for the government just to be able to come in and be heavy handed about media regulation. So Absolutely. the solution to that for many years has been co-regulation. But it's also not the strongest regulator because it's a part of administrative law. Everything has to be appealed. You know, it's slow. It's cumbersome. It ends up before the courts. Um, and there's probably a fair bit of regulatory capture there as well. Um, so it's not a strong regulator, never has been really, and that continues. And the other thing, of course, is that one of the sort of levers for its regulation is uh, broadcasters' use of the broadcasting spectrum. You get licensed to use part of the broadcasting spectrum, and that gives the government, you know, a lever, if you like, of regulation, that it's in the conditions of your license, that you meet certain codes and so on. Well, with streaming services and services delivered over the internet, you have much less power. The lever is not as good. But I mean, the content is obviously being broadcast through regional areas. So you suddenly do have ACMA having a, you know, the ability to operate that lever. That gives them a bit of a grip, exactly. And it'll be interesting to see what ACMA says to the Senate inquiry about why they have been slow to act. But so far, what they've said is, oh, yes, you know, the complaints are in and we're waiting to see what the broadcaster does with them, which is the way co-regulation works. But in the middle of a pandemic emergency, of course, that's arguably not quick enough and not strong enough. So wrapping things up, just thinking about it in a very sort of broad uh, context, how concerned should we be about Sky News? Is the idea to be alert but not alarmed? Or do you think there actually maybe is a need to take more of an active stance against it while there is this COVID denialism taking place? Yeah. Look, I, you know, I'm not suggesting for a second that we shouldn't be worried. I think some of the content, not all of it, as I say, most of it's really just pretty boring. Mm. But, you know, I think some of the content is dangerous. And I think we should be concerned about that. But I do think, and, you know, this is a comment I'd make about the whole of the murder organisation. Don't take it in its own estimation. You know, sometimes it has as much power as we give it. You know, to the extent that politicians fear it, it has power. Mm. And we've seen, you know, this is now talking about the News Corporation newspapers, for example. We've seen any number now, about 15 years, I think, of state and federal elections where the Murdoch organisation has gone hell for leather against Labour with absolutely no discernible influence on voting patterns. Now, so that sort of raw vote pooling power has largely gone. Now, I don't think that's the end of the question because I do think that News Corporation controls the parameters of the debate. You know, the reason that some ideas are still sort of respectable to voice in public is largely because, you know, the mascots of the Murdoch organisation are saying them. So it's still very influential on the the tone and the content of public debate, but it no longer pulls votes. Um, And that's a significant shift, and I don't think the political class have really caught, caught up with it yet. So I think we should scrutinise its power and not just assume that it is all-powerful because it likes us to think that it is. Yeah, no, that's a great note to leave on. Margaret, thanks so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. That's quite right. Thanks to Margaret Simons for her time this week. Be sure to take the time to read her story, Is Sky News Taking Australia by Storm? And you can find that over at insidestory.org.au. Keen media observers will be paying attention to the Sky News Senate hearings on Friday this week. Unrelated to Sky News entirely is another big media story this week. We've got the launch of streamer Paramount Plus in Australia. 
It's Viacom CBS's efforts to take its streaming platform globally. It went live in the early hours of this morning as I record this on the 11th of August 2021. It's a fairly interesting mix of premium movies and TV shows. It's got some traditional cable reality filler. What's particularly interesting about it is some of the activity happening around the margins of the service. It'll be the home of the A-League and W-League round ball football in Australia when games start up later in the year. And it'll also be the streaming of the 24-7 news channel CBSN, which is hidden streaming on the platform. If you want some deeper insight into Paramount+, Plus, check out my daily Screen Culture email newsletter, alwaysbewatching.com. I published a very lengthy list of all the things on day one you can find on that streaming service. And I will be talking about the service on a special edition of the Screen Watching Podcast, and that records and drops later tonight. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast, The Oz Media Report. It's free to listen to. All I ask is that if you find it interesting, tell your friends about it on your social media channels. The Oz Media Reports will be back next week for more. Let's chat then.